of your Bibles, you can turn there. Otherwise, um, you'll find uh, the words uh, right there on the screen um, above me. Uh, for those of you who haven't been here over the past uh, few weeks, we have been going through a series on the, the mission of the church, taking a look at God as a missionary God who has called all Christians, and this church included, to participate in his uh, gracious and restorative mission to the world, right? We you consider um, the book of John, uh, chapter 20, verse 21, where it's, uh, Jesus says, as the Father has sent me, so now I send you. I send you where? Well, I send you into the world. So over the past number of weeks, we have been doing a helicopter ride um, over the Bible, literally from Genesis to Revelation, um, looking at the mission of God and our mission as God's people. And I don't know if you, if you were here a few weeks ago, um, I kind of gave you a heads up and I said, it's not going to be the kind of series that is going to, you know, uh, warm your heart and be overly applicatory and kind of go, oh, you know, that was, uh, that was a deeply touching. It wasn't that type of sermons, these last three sermons, um, but it was merely to, to set a biblical foundation for mission because I find there's a lot of Christians who don't really get to buy into mission because they don't understand that really the whole of this book is what that's about. So that's why I wanted to set the foundation for that. Well, it's going to be a little bit different here this morning. Now what I want to do is I want to get into a little more uh, personal matters and some uh, encouraging, heartwarming matters as we see a look at one story among many stories during the ministry of Jesus that focuses on Jesus's gracious restoration of, well, in this case, a mother and her child. So it gets very, gets very personal. It's a beautiful story, and as I said, it's just one story among many that the Bible gives us. So with that having been said, I want to draw your attention now to Matthew chapter 15. Let's begin reading at verse 21. And Jesus went away from there and withdrew to the district of Tyre and Sidon. And behold, a Canaanite woman from that region came out and was crying, saying, Have mercy on me, O Lord, son of David. My daughter is severely oppressed by a demon. But he did not answer her a word. And his disciples came and begged him, saying, Send her away, for she's crying out after us. And he answered, I was sent only to the lost sheep of the house of Israel. But she came and knelt before him, saying, Lord, help me. And he answered, It is not right to take the children's bread and throw it to the dogs. She said, Yes, Lord, yet... Even the dogs eat the crumbs that fall from their master's table. Then Jesus answered her, O oh woman, great is your faith. Be it done for you as you desire. And her daughter was healed instantly. Uh, a beautiful story also recorded by the gospel writer Mark. He gives us a few details that are not recorded here. As I said you know, just a moment ago, this is just really one story that if you examine the ministry of Jesus was, um, was just one story among many of Jesus' restorative grace in the lives of individuals. For instance, you're not going to find it on the screen, but if you brought your Bible with you, I want you to take a look at verse 29 and following, where we read, Jesus went on from there, and he walked beside the Sea of Galilee, and he went up on the mountain and sat down there. And great crowds came to him, bringing with them the lame, the blind, the crippled, the mute, and many others. And he put them at his feet, and he healed them. 
You know, that was, that was the task of Jesus, right? Jesus came to preach. Jesus came also to demonstrate that he was the Messiah, that he was the very Son of God, and that with the power that he had as the very Son of God, he came to restore, to heal a broken world. And man, don't we need that today, right? Well, we find just one example here uh, before us here this morning in this uh, story of a woman who, if you take a look at verse 21, the very beginning of the story, it says that this is a woman who came from Tyre and Sidon. Uh, so it gives a geographical location. What that's really saying is that this is outside the community of Israel, right? Bearing in mind that Jesus was a Jew and he came for his Jewish people. And I'll talk about that a little bit later on. But this is outside of Jewish territory. So this is a woman from Tyre and Sidon. And another thing that the text says here in verse 22 is that this woman was a Canaanite woman, which again is a reminder that she was not a part of the people of God. She was a Canaanite. And so, you know, when, when, the, when the passage begins in that way, that's not by chance. And it's not just throwing out a few details that, you know, maybe... Uh, that are not so important for us to know. She just happened to come from Tyre and Sidon, and by the way, she happened to be a Canaanite. No, these are, these are very intentional words mentioned here, and they uh, let us into the idea that this woman is a very different woman. She's also a woman who is a mother, and she's a desperate mother at that. Which raises the question, why, why is she a troubled mother? Why is she a, a, a desperate mother? And the reason for that is because this woman has um, a daughter who is, according to this passage, uh, oppressed by a demon. Now, I want you to take a look at uh, verse uh, 22, where this woman comes to Jesus and she says, Have mercy on me, O Lord, son of David. So she recognizes, as a Canaanite woman, that this Jesus is within the arena of Judaism, that Jesus is a Jew. He's the son of David. And she says to Jesus, my daughter is severely oppressed by a demon. So this is, this is a child that's suffering. Now, the gospel writer Mark tells us something that the, Matthew's account of this story doesn't tell us, is that this is, was a child who was very young. So she doesn't say exactly what her age was, but she could have been maybe four, five, six, seven years old, something like that. And that this child was, in the words of this mother, severely oppressed by a demon, an evil spirit. And it's rather interesting that when you look at the ministry of Jesus, when he gained a beachhead on this earth and began his three-year ministry, it's, it's almost as if he kicked over a hornet's nest of evil spirits that are, that are reacting to the light that Jesus is bringing into this world, these spirits of darkness. And this little girl is severe, according to the mother again, severely oppressed by a demon. Now, what's interesting here is that when you take a look at the original language, those words severely oppressed by a demon are only two words in the original language. So the first word reveals the, the nature of this oppression, that it was severe, or another word that could be used here is cruel. So the translation is good here. But the, the, the second word that is used here that is reflected in the English words oppressed by a demon is actually the word demonization. 
in the Bible. So you never hear in the Bible of demon oppression or demon possession. It's just demonization. So what we have here is a little girl who is severely demonized. The mother thinks that there is a one demon within her. She may have had more than one demon. And it looks like it's a very powerful demon because when you look at the Bible, just as in the realm of good angels, also in the realm of evil angels or evil spirits, or as we call them, demons, there's a hierarchy. A hierarchy of authority and a hierarchy of power. So it's likely, and I'll just say this, it's likely that this demon in this little girl is one that has great authority and great power and is causing great suffering in the life of this little girl. But what's happening here is that this, this little girl is suffering so much. is not the only one who's suffering in the story. The mother is suffering as well. And you know that you know, when, when a parent has a child that is suffering, and I'm not talking about a flu or a cold. I'm talking maybe there's a certain form of disablement in that child or the certain affliction or disease or whatever that is chronic. You know that, that as a parent, and you, you especially feel this as a mother who raises this child within your womb for nine months and actually brings this child from your body into the world, that when you have that kind of ch child that you know is suffering on a daily basis, you cannot help but live vicariously with that child. That is, you cannot help but identify with their suffering, and that's what's going on here in the life of this mother. She's suffering not only, this mother is suffering, not only because this child belongs to her and came forth from her body, and she's not only suffering because she feels absolutely helpless, because who is going to help other than Jesus with this child who has this demon? But also this, this, this mother is suffering, I want to submit to you, because um, she's outside the community of faith. She's what we call, uh, today, we call her an unchurched outsider. And I have, I have seen this as a, as a pastor on a number of occasions where uh, I will talk to people who are either interested in the church but are not formally a part of it, or I'll talk to individuals who are outside the church altogether, not sure if they want to connect with it. But here's the thing. When they start going through very difficult times that are ongoing, I'm not talking about weeks, but perhaps months or years, oftentimes individuals who suffer like that suffer very much alone. They suffer alone. They say, but don't they have family? And you will find many times today people grow up in dysfunctional families. Maybe there's a cutoff from the father or the mother, or maybe there's, there's no relatives around, no family around, or maybe they, don't even, maybe they have a few friends. Maybe. But let me tell you something. When you do not belong to the church of Jesus Christ, when you don't belong to the community of faith, when you suffer, oftentimes you feel like you do so very much alone. But in the context of the church, the Bible says that, that those, um, you know, as one suffers, all of them suffer. And when one person rejoices, they all rejoice, right? Because you're part of the family of God. So it's important, shows us the importance of the church, the community of faith. So this woman doesn't have that. But one thing she does have, and this is her only recourse at this point, and she's a desperate individual. She's got Jesus. 
And what you know about Jesus, and even, even if people don't know the Bible very well, when they do hear it about Jesus, it's usually not a negative thing. It's a good thing, right? Jesus is loving. Jesus is kind. Jesus is accepting. And this woman has heard about Jesus, and maybe she thinks the same thing. So she comes to Jesus in this very desperate situation where nobody else can help her. And what is Jesus' response? Did you get that in the story? It's kind of mysterious. He ignores the woman. He doesn't say anything to her. And given the fact that he doesn't do that, this woman comes to the disciples of Jesus, the followers of Jesus, and she pleads with them. And what's the response of the disciples? Lord, just send her away. Would you just send her away? And you would think that when the, when the woman is rebuffed by Jesus and the woman is rebuffed by even Jesus' followers, his disciples, you would think she'd probably go, you know, this is not what I was expecting. And, and in a disheartened way, she would just leave and go on, go on her way, maybe find help elsewhere, maybe. But that's not what we find in the passage because when you take a look at the original language here, there's, a, there's an emphasis on the dogged persistence of this woman. She, she, she does not give up because that shows just how desperate she is. So she keeps pressing. She keeps going back to Jesus and she keeps going back to her disciples pleading for them. And again, the disciples say, Lord, would you just please get rid of her? And then Jesus, seemingly irritated, finally says something to the woman. You follow the story. He says, in today's language, uh, Listen, um, I only came for the lost sheep of the house of Israel. In other words, and I'll fill this out in a moment, I, 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 I came for them, I came for the Jews, I, I, didn't, I didn't come for you, I didn't come for the non-Jews. And then, she doesn't give up even then, like, Lord, please help me. And then Jesus follows that up with, by saying this, he says, you know, it's not right to give the children's bread to dogs. So who are the children who receive the bread? That's my people, the Jews. And who are the dogs? You know, the dog is this woman. Now, people will look at this and, you know, it is, it is enough for a lot of people who are starting to read their Bible for the first time, they're going through this, to come across a passage like this and, and for them to say, first of all, this is not what I was expecting, but now that I read it in the Bible, I won't have anything to do with this, Jesus. Forget that. All right, so what do we do with this? Here's something I want you to understand. I want you to listen carefully to this because this is a stumbling block for some people, the way that Jesus reacts, and the disciples, by the way, react to this. When, when Jesus first came to this earth, he came with a particular mission, and that mission was to restore his people. Because if you've been following this series that I've been going through over the past three weeks, especially the last couple weeks, you'll remember that I said on a number of occasions that though God called his people to be a holy people, that is a people who are distinct from the other people of the world, and though he called his people his special possession, and though as a holy people he set them apart in order that they might live for him, time and time again, we read in the first two-thirds of the book of the Bible, we read that these people didn't want to do that. They, they put their backs to God and said, you know what, we don't want to follow you, we don't want to be a holy nation, and we certainly through our holiness don't want to be a light to the nation, so we're just going to move in this direction. 
So the whole of the first two-thirds of the Bible are pointing the way to the time where Jesus will come and, and Jesus will have the mission to take these people who are currently living in rebellion against God and reform them, change them, transform them into the kind of people that they need to be. So when Jesus came to this earth, he first began to preach. and He preached a message of repentance, change, and faith in God to his people. He didn't come for the nations first and foremost. He came to his people to draw them to God, to create a spirit of repentance and faith in them, change in their hearts, to reconcile them to God and reconstitute them as a people, restore them in order that they might be that positive witness to the world as a holy people. That's why he came. So he came for his people. He didn't come for people outside the community of, of Israel. However, see that will come later by the way. His national emphasis among the people of Israel will change into an international emphasis where the people of God will reach out to the world. But that time in history has not yet come. For now, it's just for the people of Israel. But here's the thing. When you look at the ministry of Jesus, upon occasion, you find these non-Jews from different areas drawing near to Jesus in desperation and in faith. So that this international emphasis of the church after Jesus ascends into heaven and pours forth his spirit, we already begin to get foretaste of what he's going to do in the future through these individuals who come to him with a desperate faith. And what does Jesus do with them? Does he say, eh, my international mission has not yet come. Sorry, you can't come into the kingdom of God. You cannot belong to me. Never. What Jesus does is that when people, no matter how desperate they are, come to the end of themselves and they draw near to him in faith, he receives them. And he receives them like he receives this woman. And what a beautiful thing he does, right? Jesus says elsewhere in the Gospel of John, all those whom the Father has given me actually will come to me. And the one who comes to me, I will no wise send away. And that's what we see this, with this woman. So Jesus, first of all, says, I only came for the lost sheep of the house of Israel. She presses him in faith. Then he says, it's not right to throw the children's bread to dogs. She comes to him with this rejoinder, with this response. Look at verse 27. Yes, Lord, I know. Yet, even the dogs eat the crumbs that fall from their master's table. Is that not just an incredible response? I mean, how, how would you describe that response? Would you say, well, that's, that's, that's smart. It's witty. It's, in, it's insightful. It is. But most of all, that is a response simply of faith. You say, really, how much faith do you need in Jesus anyway? The Bible says, the size of a mustard seed. In other words, just that much. Just that much. Maybe your faith begins in that way, just that much. And then it grows over time. And, and this woman comes with this simple faith, not truly understanding all of what Jesus is about, but Jesus sees the beauty of her heart and her response. And, and Jesus receives her 
And then he says to her, Oh woman, and this is how the story ends. He says, Oh woman, your faith is not like this. Your faith is great. The implication of that, Jesus is like, Yeah, I go to my own people, and even my own people don't receive me like you. But you come with this great faith, in some ways, even to shame my own people. And you come with this great faith. So, woman, because of your great faith, what I'm going to do is I'm going to give you what you request. And the last thing we read in this passage is that her daughter was restored. Her daughter was healed. And you'd like to, you, you, sometimes you read the stories of the Bible and you just kind of go, man, I would just have loved to be there to meet this child. You know, where they're, they're, this child who was drowning in darkness and suffering and all of a sudden she, the demon is gone, or demons, and she's in her right mind. And she experiences peace. You know, my friends, this is, when you, when you take a look at this story, this is, um, you go, well, okay, let's step back for just a moment and say, what is this story all about? It's a story about faith and, and a, a true faith and a persistent faith, a dogged faith. But most of all, this is a story about Jesus. And the restorative grace that Jesus brings to those who really find themselves with little hope, honestly. I mean, look at this child. This child is suffering. And you look at this mother, and this mother is suffering, and the mother is, is desperate. And by the way, I don't know if you know this, but when you, when you look at the Bible, not, just the, not only the New Testament during the days of Jesus, but the Old Testament, so many times what you find is you find... Um, you find desperate parents, you know, parents who have nowhere else to turn, and they, they, they cry out to Jesus. For instance, would you put the, the uh, take a look at First Kings. Let's deal with the Old Testament very quickly. Just let me give you some examples of this. After this, the son of the widow of Zarephath became ill, and the illness was so severe that he died. The son of this widow died, and she said to Elijah the prophet, what do you have against me? Have you come to bring my sin to remembrance and cause the death of my son? Now, this is very interesting. That, that this, this mother, this widow, she didn't even have a husband, and that child died. And not only is, is she desperate, but she's accusatory. And I find this very interesting that when that little boy died, her first reaction was, this was a punishment upon her by the prophet. How many times isn't it that when we go through difficulties, or especially when we go through difficulties in our children, and one of our first reactions, and it's not a good reaction, but one of our first reactions is, because of what's happening to my child or this difficulty in my life, it must be because I'm sinning against God, and now God is bringing that against me, and he's punished me for it. It's not the case. John 4, 47, 49, and when the official heard that Jesus was in Galilee, he went to him and asked him to come down and heal his son, for he was at the point of death. And the official said, Sir, notice the desperation in this voice, please, please come down before my child dies. Luke 8, and there came a man from, named Jairus who was a ruler of the synagogue and falling at Jesus' feet, he begged him to come to his house for he had an only daughter about 12 years old and she was dying. 
The next day, a great crowd met Jesus, and behold, a man from the crowd cried out, Teacher, I beg you to look at my only son, for a spirit seizes him, and suddenly he cries out. It convulses him so that he foams at the mouth and shatters him and will hardly leave him. Now you have a father, not a mother, but a father with a son with an evil spirit. Finally this, again our text, Behold, a Canaanite woman from the region of Tyre and Sidon was crying, and she said, Have mercy on me, son of David. My daughter is severely oppressed by a demon. And she knelt down before him and said, I mean, really, she's begging him, Lord, help me. Got any desperate mothers here this morning? Although, although here's the thing, um, and you know what, if you never had kids, you can, you can only really enter into this kind of from afar, somewhat theoretically, but when you bring that kid into the world, that kid's yours, and it's really for the rest of your life. And you say, well, they get married, they move on. You know what, you continue to deal with your children even after they're married, right? Trying to care for them, try to lead them along, kind of going through their difficulties in life. Once you bring, it's really interesting. Once you bring that kid in the world, that kid is yours for the rest of your life, right? And your heart goes out to your child, all right? But you know what? You don't have to be a, a desperate mother to appreciate the passage because I think there are many times in our own lives where we do feel desperate and we, we feel desperate because of various things uh, that the Lord has, has put into our life. And, and we feel like this mother where we have come to the end of our rope, where we have come to just really a dead end in our lives. And maybe, maybe, maybe you feel like and I won't go along with this, but maybe you, you, you've come here this morning, you feel like you're at, you're at a dead end. Maybe it's, it's a situation in your marriage that you've been working on, and it's like, I don't know, man, it's just, it doesn't seem to be getting better, or maybe it gets a little bit better for a while, and then kind of goes back, and we struggle with this. Or maybe it's just a situation where, you know, you've been looking for a soulmate, you know, for a long time. You've been looking for that soulmate, and you kind of go, eh, I'll never get married. You know, I'll never find that guy, I'll never find that girl. You get to this point of desperation. Or you, you do have a child. You have a child who's going through great difficulties. And you think, my child is a situation where, humanly speaking, we can put that child in meds, but, you know, that, that child's not going to turn around. It's got that situation going on. Um, and you feel like you become, uh, you come to a dead end. Or you, you deal with, if all the say, you deal with a mental issue in your life. And it's a struggle. And you, you feel, you, you come here this morning and you know what? You feel like the, the clouds, like these November clouds, you just, you know, boy, it would be nice to have a little ray of sunshine every once in a while. And they, they just hang and hang and hang and hang. And I mean, all of these, all of these, we could just, listen, we all live lives sometimes of quiet desperation, don't we? Because we're human. And it's during times like these, like we just, we're just like, do you ever pray this prayer in, in the midst of times of, of desperation where it seems like those clouds are not rolling away and you cry out to the Lord and you just say, Lord, you know, how, how, how about just a piece of bread? Can you just give me a piece of bread from your hand? Kind of like Elijah the prophet by the brook Kidron where, where the Lord providentially sent ravens little bits of meat or little pieces of bread to feed Elijah in desperate times. Lord, you did that for Elijah. Can you give me just a little piece of bread? Or uh, Here's the thing. I'll tell you what. How about, just a, how about just a crumb? Will you give me a crumb? Just a crumb from your hand. 
whatever situation we find ourselves in, we must always know this. And you've got to believe this, that God knows our situation far more than what we do. And we have to realize that God is willing to give us more than a piece of bread. He's willing to give us a feast. Because that's the nature of the God who loves us. I'm willing to give you a feast. What does Jesus say in the Gospel of John? Jesus says, I am the bread of life. He who comes to me will never hunger, and he who believes in me will never thirst. So what is Jesus saying? Jesus is saying, all those who come to me and all those who embrace me in faith, not only will I draw themselves to me, and if they're in need of forgiveness in their life, I will grant them the forgiveness of sins. I will do that for them, but I will do more. I will satisfy their deepest longings. And I will heal their deepest pain. And that does not always mean that, that God is simply going to relieve us of the present dilemma or situation that we are in. Sometimes he does that. Sometimes we plead for him to grant us just a crumb from the master's table. And sometimes he says, you know what? I'm going to do much more than that. I'm going to relieve you of this dilemma, of this pain in your life. I'm going to free you from it. But there are many other times where beyond that, he doesn't completely free us from our situation, but he gives us the capacity to manage the situation that we are in. And along the way, he gives us little reprieves, little drinks from his fountain that satisfy our deepest thirsts. Well, whatever form of grace it may take, he calls us this morning just to draw near to him. And if we have never done that before, to embrace him. Or if we have done that before, but we have been presently walking away from him, he says, stop walking away. Come. Come, I will not push you away. Come to me, he says, and I will mend the brokenness of your life, and I will provide. In my way and in my timing, I will provide for your every need. And that's the beauty of this passage. And that's the truth of this passage. Next week, what we're going to do is we're going to look at how God gives us the privilege of not only receiving the restorative grace that we find in this passage, but being the channels of this grace and restoration in the lives of others as we continue this uh, whole series on the mission of the church. Until that time, let's, uh, let's come to the Lord in prayer. Lord Jesus, we thank you that you are the kind of individual, the kind of redeemer and comforter that will give us more than a crumb when we come to you. Indeed, even more than a loaf of bread. But there are times, oh Lord, where you give us a lavish feast where we can sit at that table and dine and feel your love and your abounding mercy to us. Thank you for that, Father. Lord, we pray that whatever we are facing in our lives here, we pray that in light of this kind of message this morning, that we may be compelled to not give up, 
but have a persistent, dogged faith like this woman who would not give up until Jesus blessed her. Reminding us of Jacob of old who wrestled with the angel and said, I will not let you go until you bless me. Well, Lord, we pray for your blessing for all of us in the situations that we find in life. And then in blessing us, O oh God, we pray that we would be compelled, therefore, to be channels of that very same blessing in the lives of those who need it. So God, grant that in this prayer, we pray. In Jesus' name, amen. All right, as we do every week after we hear a word of the Lord, we're going to sing a response together. And I'd like us to sing um, from uh, him. Uh, 81, and as we do from week to week, we're going to stand for the song, and then let's remain standing for the benediction. Mm -hmm. 